0: Welcome to Fresno's Best Podcast. I'm your host Jordan Maddox. Today we have Alicia Perez on the show. Alicia is the co-owner of Bee Happy Farms, Inc., a family beekeeping company serving the Central Valley. Bee Happy Farms is dedicated to raising honeybees, pollinating crops, and harvesting honey varieties unique to our Central Valley. Their passion for honeybees extends to helping educate others on the importance of honeybees to our food supply chain. I hope you enjoy this conversation about all things bees and all things honey. I learned a lot, and I know you will too. So let's go meet Alicia Perez. To
1: elevate guests, politics, religion, culture, art, music, show some respect to the best. Little city left in the U.S., Fresno's best. Fresno's best.
0: So, Alicia, where do you like to eat in Fresno?
1: So, uh, I like to eat at Motrello. It's over on Shaw Avenue. Uh, we really like that, that place, especially for dinner. And what's nice, too, is that they have some really nice seasonal drinks that have honey in them. So, we we like their cocktails and their food is delicious. So, we really enjoy it when we need a little bit of a break and just a nice dinner. So, we like That's- hitting over there.
0: That's the place. That's part of a hotel, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. I go there sometimes and just get a, like a bunch of like little tapas things yeah. and then yeah, we really like some that. Some drinks. Yeah. It's a cool place. Um, yeah. And so, what what is a, what is a good cocktail with honey?
1: Um, you know, they have one there. Um, I think they had it like during the summer, and it it was with mezcal, um, which is kind of a, a tequila variant. Um, and so they could, they mixed that and I think it was honey and there was something else, something else in there, but, um, very delicious. Very good, very good combination.
0: Are there different, do you, do you feel like there are different flavors you get with the honey, uh, cocktail with honey versus just a cocktail with simple syrup?
1: Yeah, I think it does. It does change the, the, the flavor a little bit. So, um, and the, depending on the type of honey that they use too, but I do think it gives it a little bit of a different flavor than just like your traditional, you know, like flavored syrups that they might put in there. Um, it, it does give it a little bit of a, a different taste to it.
0: Are you kind of like just working in the industry? Have you kind of become a snob? So if someone brings you like a cocktail that has honey in it and you feel like it's like a, a low grade honey, you can kind of taste it or is that kind of hard to discern? I may
1: not taste it in the cocktail might be not, not that much of a snob just yet, okay. <laughs> but I can tell by looking at any honey jar, you know, that somebody might bring me in another restaurant and I can tell you right away if it's real honey or not.
0: <laughs> mm. so what do you that, mean, what that, do you mean yeah. when you say real honey?
1: Well, unfortunately, there's a lot of honey products out there that claim to be honey, and they they really aren't. Um, they they have a lot of additives and things that, um, you know, sometimes will will reduce the quality of the honey, or they they will actually add fructose or sucrose to it, which you're basically adding sugar sugar to the honey. And so then, you know, of course, you're you're taking away the the, the pure you know the pureness of the honey. And you're now, you know, now you don't have an an authentic raw product anymore. You're basically having sugar. (laughs) So that sort of defeats the purpose.
0: Yeah. Who decides? I mean, because it feels like if someone's labeling something that it's not, like, isn't there, like, are there rules about using the word honey? Is it a percentage amount of honey? Yeah.
1: There isn't, unfortunately, and that's something the American Association of um, of uh, Beekeepers and the American Honey Association has been working on for the past few years is to get more Um, grading and more, you know, get more strict around the labeling. So it's, it's always, that's why we always tell people, I mean, the best thing you can do is buy honey from a local beekeeper, because that way, you know, it's pure, you know, it's raw, you know, they haven't added anything to it, um, you know, versus going to the supermarket and buying these little honey bears. Um, And the other secret too, is that raw honey will will always crystallize to a certain degree. So that's when it gets kind of this a little bit grainy or, you know, people might think it's sugar, but it's actually the the natural form of the honey. And so, um, you know, there's kind of a myth or a a misconception that honey that crystallizes is not real honey, but in fact, it's the other way around. It actually really means you have nice raw honey and um, it's the real deal. Versus honey that you might put in the fridge and in the freezer and it may still be liquid. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's your clue that it's not real honey. It's got other additives and other chemicals in it that do not make it pure. And so therefore, you know, you're you're getting something else that's not, it. not
0: natural and not healthy. I definitely grew up with the little bear. Uh, there was, now. I always knew where the little bear was, <laughs> but what you're telling me now is that I thought I was eating honey, but I was really eating something probably from corn from Iowa somewhere with a little bit of honey in it,
1: with a little Terrible. bit of honey in it, yeah. And and not all of them, we do honey bursts too, so not all okay. honey burst bad, but okay. um, you know, there's there's some fun ways to tell if your honey is pure, so we can talk about that too,
0: yeah. So let's uh let's kind of backpedal a little bit, and um, I'm curious to, to start with. Um, beekeepers uh, because it's kind of like an interesting group of people and Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem altogether clear how like one gets into beekeeping it almost Mm -hmm. seems like it's something maybe that starts as a hobby and turns into a business is that an accurate uh, picture of it or is there kind of like schools where you go
1: Well, there's a lot of people that definitely it starts out as a hobby. Um, In our case, was a little bit different. Um, We actually, our family here, my husband's side of the family, are um, commercial beekeepers here in the Central Valley, and and they're probably going in about 15 or 16 years of being commercial beekeepers. Um, My husband and I actually knew nothing about beekeeping. (laughs) Yeah, since five years ago, Um, we knew absolutely nothing. We had uh, jobs in the Bay Area, and we were commuting like crazy, and um, you know that was our life. Um, so we we sort of stumbled upon it, um, you know, because we um, my my husband happened to be transferred out here. Um, he was working in in the construction industry, and he got transferred to the big uh, UC Merced extension project. Okay. And we had some family members living out here, and we said, you know what? We are tired of commuting <laughs> every day, hours and hours and hours and not seeing our kids. And having to drop them off at daycare and not see them all day. And we decided to relocate. Um, and by, you know, whatever means happened a few months later, that project, you know, they had funding issues. I don't know what it stalled. And so my husband was laid off um, a few months after moving here. And, um, you know, his family member said, hey, you're not doing anything. Why don't you come help us out with the beekeeping business? You know, it's it's your family, come check it out. You work with us for a few months while your project gets gets started again, right? Um, because that's always the layoffs are always kind of seasonal. And yeah. so um, so we did. And he started working in beekeeping, started looking into it. And um, you know, probably four or five months later, we we bought our first hives. And, um, you know, for, for my husband, especially it was a, you know, total career change, total career change, but, um, it sort of came at the right time, you know, he was ready to do something else. Um, he became really interested in the bees and he really liked just being outside, being in the fields, you know, um, in, in working the bees. And so he just, it it was an immediate click. He really clicked with the bees (laughs) and, um, and from there we've just been growing. I mean, we started with a hundred hives In 2018 and uh, right now we're at about 800 hives in 2022. So, so it's been quite a journey for us, but I would say you know a lot of people do start off as hobbies or it's a generational thing too is what we see a lot it's it's generations of beekeepers. Um, you'll see that very often too. Cause like you said, it is a very unique thing. You don't just kind of wake up and say, I'm going to be a beekeeper today. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, you sort of have to have that, that passion for it. And, um, you know, we've really found it. We we just, we feel like we're never going to, we're never going to stop learning about bees. There's always something that there's going to be to learn about them. And so, um, you know, or something else, a new product and you this and you that there's, there's just, it's just an ongoing learning. Like we're never going to, we're never going to finish understanding bees and everything that they do. So, um, you know, we, uh, out there in the industry, we, they call us beaks, you know,
0: because it, <laughs> so it, it, <laughs> it definitely seems like it's a, I mean, it's, it feels like it's some kind of cross between agriculture and mm-hmm. kind of husband, like, you know, what is it, husbandry or like raising animals yep. uh, raising insects is mm-hmm. different right um yeah. so would you say it's closer to raising animals or closer to like agriculture
1: you know like you said it's it's a cross it's a cross between both of them because i mean technically bees if if you ask you know if you look into the department of agriculture bees are definitely livestock they are in the in the category of uh livestock so they are treated as a, like a livestock commodity um because they are animals so at the end of the day right and right. so but we live sort of in the in the frame of the agricultural world right because mm-hmm. we're we're very dependent on the agriculture to survive right so there's a very close tie there between the bees and the agriculture right because we we depend on each other right we yeah. depend especially on the farmers we we depend greatly on them you know not only for just the job of the pollination every year right we depend on our pollination contracts Um, you know, for income, but also, you know, in the way that they're, they do their pesticide practices, their crop going practices, you know, cover crop, all these things. There's a very kind of tight relationship there between both sides. Right. Yeah. Let's,
0: let's, let's go to the kind of basics and talk about bees. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of kinds of bees. I did a Mm -hmm. little bit of research and didn't realize how many, how many (laughs) species of bees there are. Um, And I, understand that there's kind of solitary bees and then more social bees Mm -hmm. um and beekeepers mainly work with the social variety right um and is it there there's one main the the honeybee is that a single species or are there versions of the honeybees that you work with or do beekeepers tend to have one or a couple species that they work with in particular
1: um in general, the honeybees, kind of the honeybee, uh, where we would look more at the types is when we're considering what type of queen bees that we utilize in our hive. Mm-hmm. So there are a few different varieties of queen bees and each have their pros and cons. Um, you know, some of them have more of a strength when it comes in to, um, you know, kind of getting their colonies to bring in more honey there are some that have a longer lifespan than others we've seen so for us it's been a little bit of a trial and error there's kind of italian queens there's there's different varieties of queens and and there's different breeders out there too um queen breeders and so it is a little bit of trial and error to kind of see which queens will will work the best for your hives And and it has to do a lot with the climate um, you know, where you're going to place your, your hives, what type of pollination they're going to be doing, or what type of honey source they're going to be doing, you know, when they're bringing in honey to kind of determine what, what queen bee will work for you. Cause there's some species of queen bees that do really well in cold weather. And then there's some that do really well in hot weather. So it just kind of depends, right? Depending on your geographic region, that'll kind of determine what type of, um, what type of Queens will work best for you.
0: Interesting. So, when you're starting a hive, you do you start it with the mindset of the queen that you've selected for the hive, um, and then work that way, or is it the other way around? I, I guess I'm trying to visualize how the process starts. How
1: the process works. Yeah, it, definitely. The queen is is kind of the first thing that that we need to worry about because all you know, every every hive's got to have a queen. So when we're ready to what we call split our hives, meaning when our hives get yeah. overpopulated and it's ready to break a mountain two, then that's the first thing we got to do we got to get a queen in there right the, the, and no no hive ha- must be queenless <laughs> mm. so that's the you know she's the essential component of the hive right she's the one that will lay the eggs and will grow that hive and so that's that's the first thing you know we have to have that all lined up um ready to our queens ready to go when we're ready to divide those those hives out so so yeah that's definitely the first thing that we that we worry about. And then second thing is feeding, right? Making sure that they have enough food so that they can, the queen can start doing her work and then the bees can start reproducing. So
0: when you're managing that many hives, I mean, is it, is is there a lifespan of a hive? I mean, obviously you talked about the queen's lifespan, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what, what is the kind of lifespan of a hive itself? I mean, before you need to make changes.
1: Yeah, and we, we do measure that by the queen's lifespan. So okay. since the queen is the one that's responsible for, you know, reproducing the, the, the you know, the reproduction of the bees, right? The bees have right. a certain amount of lifespan. So, so we measure it actually based on the queen. So we do something that's called requeening every, every year or you know, we do an evaluation kind of every year. So um, we actually mark some of our queens so that we know which year they were purchased in. And then that way we do sort of in the September timeframe is when that happens. Um, and, and we do, we have like a running calendar of kind of bee activities that we do right during the year. And September is the time to requeen. And so that's when, you know, we'll go through the hives and we'll see which queen is still producing. We'll look at the, the pattern in which the, she's laying the eggs. That'll tell us whether the queen might be nearing the end of her lifespan or if the queen is still in, in good health to keep producing. And so at that moment, we'll take, kind of take account, we'll take some inventory and we'll order new queens if, if needed. Um, to keep those hives going and keep them strong during the winter. So that's why it's really important to do it in September um, because that's still, you know, the weather's still nice. So the queen can adjust to her new hive and then um, be good throughout, throughout the winter months.
0: How many years does a queen last typically?
1: Um, the longest we've seen them last is about two years, um, you know, in good health. So, so that's why we kind of reevaluate them every year. Um, and that's when you have really, really good quality bees, queen um, bees. They can last up to two years of producing. You know, being in a in a productive. Uh, manner. So, and when you're managing that many hives, you, you have to make sure the queen's producing. So, um, you know, any queens that don't, then, um, you know, we make sure to replace them so that, you know, the hive can continue to thrive.
0: Interesting. Um, Does, does, do, do hives have different personalities? Uh, Like, are are there hives that are more difficult to deal with versus hives that are more functional? And how do you, how do you, where does that come from?
1: Well, you know, and it, what part of it has to do with the time of year and the weather and then other part you know what we've experienced too is that hives that we've collected from swarm rescues or swarm removals um you know that they just just kind of gathered somewhere those tend to be a little bit more aggressive mm-hmm. um and and what we've found during research and and just learning more about bees is that Um, the the bees in the colony will follow a lot of the time, the personality of the queen. So, you know, this is why she's the queen, I guess. Um, You know, and so if the queen is very aggressive, then the hive has a tendency to be aggressive. Mm -hmm. And um, and, and so that's why sometimes some of the the queen bees that we buy, you know, it's because they're very gentle. And so they, if you put in a, a gentle queen, we've seen how those hives, you know, how those honeybees over time will even become gentle. So, um, you know, yeah, we have some, some, some hives that we've gotten from a few swarm rescues, and, and definitely those are more aggressive. Mm. And time of year, uh, my husband just came home a little while ago, and um, he said, you know, it's been a while since I've been stung by that many bees. Um, and right now they're, they're, they're all ablaze because of the, the almonds that are blooming right this minute. And so they're going crazy right now and so they're very aggressive because they're out there to get their nectar right don't stand in their way so um so it's it's the time of year it's the time of year you know um this year it's it's not uncommon for them to be more aggressive because they've been in hibernation right the sun's out weather's nice the bloom is here. So they're, they're out and about. So they're, they're full of energy right now. So it's, it's, it's very common right now for them to be a little bit more aggressive than, you know, in the, in the fall time, when it gets a little colder, they tend to stay more in their hives, you know, they don't fly as much. So, so yeah.
0: Are, our our queens Queens um, kind of going through the same process, like, you know, with genetic genetically modified uh, stuff where they're trying to, uh, breed them in a certain direction to achieve a certain goal or is it kind of like you know there's uh, just these different varieties and you select uh, what kind of path because you mentioned at the beginning selecting mm-hmm. certain kinds of queen bees right. But I'm just wondering if uh, they're trying to modify them to achieve a certain goal if that's
1: you know I have seen a little bit of that um, you know the, the particular queen breeder that we we like to work with um they have a style of, of Russian queen breeding. And it's a very popular style. It's been around for, for ages. And it's really built more so upon, you know, just a lot of experience and a lot of knowledge and breeding and breeding practices, right? That are really only you only get through through experience and years of work. But um, but I do know that there are some efforts, you know, to try to use science and other tools to try to, you know, start breeding some of these queens. Um, or you know the climates too. I know we've used some some bees that are um, you know they're they're bred in in Hawaii because of the weather and because they have optimal weather conditions for queen breeding. So you know there are a lot of different factors that can go into it. Um, at least what we've seen is just that experience and just techniques that have been there for years and years and years from ancient beekeepers are the ones that have worked really well and and I feel like it's because they keep a certain line of queens going right it's a certain line that has really good genes and they work hard to make sure that those are preserved in every you know new queen breeding round that they do so so those are the ones that have really worked well for us are the ones that have really mastered their craft of um, queen breeding and really put a lot of time and effort into what they do
0: Okay, let's, um let's talk about uh, the pollination services you do, because mm-hmm. I think that that's probably the thing that interests me most and most interesting yep. to talk about it in the context of kind of all the, you know, news and documentaries we see and mm-hmm. hear about, about, you know, bee populations dropping. Uh, so maybe kind of set the stage for us about what's going on with bee populations. And uh, as a beekeeper, how do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean it's definitely we've seen, you know, in the in the four or five years, you know, we're we're still we're still newbies. We consider ourselves newbies, but at least what we've seen is that, you know, it it is getting a little harder every year to keep the bees um to really maintain them. And um, you know, I think there there's two large things that that are kind of um, you know, the cause of that. One is disease. Um, there are mites that impact uh, bees that will chew off their wings and do all sorts of things and can kill a hive in a matter of days Um, and so those are those are called varroa varroa mites and we deal with that a lot and and we've seen how those numbers have been increasing and that of course forces us to either look for new ways to you know new either, you know, formulas or things that are out on the market to be able to deal with it, or even natural methods, which is what we've been really experimenting with probably in the last year, is using natural methods to kind of combat some of these mites. I was going to ask about
0: your feelings on natural beekeeping. Um, Yeah, because I mean, operating in a commercial space, I just didn't know if that was uh, something that's feasible to do at your scale.
1: It is feasible. I think you have to, you can't do it a hundred percent. I will say that um, because then you're, you're really not, um, you know, you're not making a living at that point to yeah. be honest. Um, yeah. and you have to, right. You have to, you have to be sustainable. And so, um, but it is possible to do a combination. And I think that's what most bee- beekeepers do because it, it's a balance. It's a balance between being profitable, but keeping your bees healthy, because at the yeah. end of the day, if you don't have healthy bees, you're not going to, you're not going to be profitable at all. Right. Um, and so we try to focus more on making sure our bees are healthy. And okay. so, We try to do a balance of, okay, yes, we use chemical, you know, we use some sort of um, things to combat the mites um, that are treatments, but then we combine that with trying other things like essential oils or smoker fuels like, um, you know, things we will put some either eucalyptus or things like that in our smokers so that the, and that helps too with some of the mites. So, and um, you know, some of the feedback that came out out of the um, California beekeeper conference last year was that, there was no one treatment to, for these diseases uh, for bees. You really have to do this combination of, of things um, in order to keep your bees healthy. And so, you know, there's not one, one right mix. It's it's going to depend on your microclimate. It's going to depend on your beekeeping practices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's just, it's been a lot of trial and error too in, yeah. that, in that space of let's try this. Let's try that. Hey, this beekeeper, this worked for this beekeeper and a lot of networking with a lot of the other Beekeepers and sharing practices um, has helped us a lot. Um, yeah. So we're very grateful to other beekeepers in the areas that have shared um, given, their thoughts given, with us.
0: Given that, uh, what you said from the conference, um I don't know uh, what is what is the level of stringency with uh things being marked as organic honey. Um is there yeah, that- it, it seems like if that's what the conference is talking about, it seems because I see a lot of organic honeys on the <laughs> shelves. So
1: <Yeah.
0: laughs> are we being misled a little bit?
1: It's yeah. I just always think it's difficult to label honey organic because bees can, fl- I mean, in reality, I mean, studies show that bees can fly up to five miles if they're really hungry. So, you know, To be, in my opinion, to be really organic, you would have to be surrounded by fields that are organic um, and and have that be up to five miles. And if you can find places like that, power to you, right? I mean, that's wonderful. But in reality it's very hard to find even organic farmers. I mean to be honest, right? It's not it's not something cheap to do, you know, for farmers. Yeah. And so um you know to be able to find a space like that where you have 5 miles around you of all organic farmers, it's difficult to do. So I mean, you know, it's misleading because in and of itself, I mean if you if you look at the term organic and you take it as you know not adding anything chemical or anything like that to it sure you can use that definition and say right i don't add anything to my honey right it's pure honey it's organic honey but um but we don't like to label it that way because we just don't know what's in the other fields that our bees pollinate yeah. right yeah and the reality is is that growers have to manage for pests and as much as we dislike pesticides and pesticide use and we complain about it i mean we get it too we know that farmers have to manage pests, right? And so, but there's responsible ways to do it. And so that's where we,
0: where we fight. Yeah. Do you support that bill that's in the, I think it just introduced recently in the assembly. What is it? Uh, It's uh, AB 2146 and it targets a bunch of different uh, pesticides that affect uh, bee populations. Um, yeah. I, I guess that's just a recent development. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, Are farmers too kids. casual
0: with some chemicals that affect your bee populations?
1: Definitely. Um, that's the second part of it, right, it's, is, is the the pesticide use and the irresponsible pesticide use, I would say, because I think there's some good programs in place. We are definitely users of the Beware program, which is launched a few years ago. Um, you know, we were probably one of the, the first ones to kind of use it um, in, in Fresno or be active users of it. And, um, you know, it helps us plot out our bees and that way it helps growers. They can look us up. They can see where our bees are and they can do a bee check and see if they're going to spray anything and contact us. But, um, unfortunately two years ago, we had a massive bee loss. Um, we had an area where we had about 200 hives and we were left with about 30% of our bees. And, um, it was from one day to another. And so, I mean, when it happens like that, it, it has to be a pesticide mm-hmm. spray. I mean, there's no, there's no disease that's going to kill your bees that yeah. quickly. And so, you know, it was, it was really, really tough. And um, you know, and it's, so we, we try to work with, with the growers as much as we can get to know what the grower or the growers in the area work with the grower, where our bees are going to be at, um, and, and make sure we work with them, um, to, you know, if, if they do need to spray something that they do it late at night, um, you know, depend, you know, check the temperature and, and all these things or do it when the crops are not in bloom. You know, there's, there's definitely ways that we can mitigate the impact of the pesticides to the bees. But unfortunately, there are still a lot of growers that, you know, aren't willing, aren't willing to make those accommodations and those changes in support of, of, you know, keeping, keeping our bees. So, so that's unfortunate. And, and also too, we sometimes struggle to even find places to store our bees because, you know, for the same reason that some growers are just not, they're just not willing to change the the way that they apply their pesticides or what pesticides they use, or, you know, or they're not willing to work with their pesticide person to find alternatives. So, So we, that is, that's the other challenge that we have, um, you know, in maintaining our bee population. And, and we probably have, you know, about a, you know, every year, you know, if you take our, our, our losses, um, you know, probably about, you know, 40%, 50% is, is due to pesticide of our losses. So, um, you know, that's, that's quite a bit, you know, more so than any disease or anything like that, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of the pesticide use and, and that doesn't do well for the honey too. You know, we want to try to keep our honey as clean as as possible, right? And so and we are fortunate to work with a few organic growers and that way at least we know that the nearby crop that the that the bees are pollinating is organic and that it's it's a little cleaner and it and it makes for cleaner honey, but you know, we do what we can. We do what we can, honestly.
0: Yeah. Well, it seems like the farmers should understand the deep connection uh with pollination that they would see that, you know, killing off bees hurts them as well, right. you right. know, and I, so can you just kind of do like a brief overview of like, you know, pol- why, why your pollination services are needed uh, in the Central Valley?
1: Sure. So, um, so almonds, we'll start with the almonds because that's our biggest one That and our bees are currently in the almonds right now. We just finished doing our drops um, just a few days ago and um so almonds you know depend greatly upon bees so if you know the bees will pollinate the blossom and then that will um you know that will eventually turn into the almond the almond fruit right and so and and given that california produces you know 100% or pretty close to 100% of the U.S. almond crop and 80% of the world's almonds, I mean, that's a pretty big job. Yeah. <laughs> if the bees weren't there, I mean, I, you know, I can't tell you how low that almond crop would be, but it would be pretty low. Um, you know, the, the bees play an essential role in, in pollinating those almonds and in the yields that the farmers get every year. So um, so that's, you know, number one job of our bees, at least in this area, is is the almond um, the almond pollination, but we also do cherry, blueberry. I mean, there's so many crops that depend um, upon the bees. Um, strawberries. I mean, there would be just so many things in the produce aisle that you wouldn't find if it weren't if it weren't for the bees, right? And um, you know, they just help make better crop, bigger crop. I mean, it just the yields go way up when you have a honeybee populate your crop than than when you just let you know leave it alone.
0: are these are these kind of uh fruit trees or different things nut trees are they are they going to outpace the supply of bees to pollinate them at a certain point is there Uh, Is there kind of a, 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 what's that horizon something or other where, you know, we just kind of reach that point of like, there's, you know, Mm -hmm. we don't have enough bees left.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely in California, that's the case because at least in California, there's not enough beekeepers for the amount of almonds. So that's why you have, you know, beekeepers coming from out of state to help fill those voids because there's just not enough, there's not enough of us. There's not enough beekeepers in California to cover the amount of almonds and, mm. and cherry and, and all these other things. So um, you have a lot of beekeepers coming in from Florida, Montana, Texas, Utah, um, you know, all these states just by the truckloads, um, you know, this time of year, bringing in their bees, North Dakota, South Dakota, um, you know, all these areas bringing in their bees to cover that um, that gap, right? And, and we've seen it. You know, we've seen it very some years. Um, this year, we've seen a little bit of surplus, um, just a tiny bit. Um, and then other years, there's definitely a
0: shortage. So, does you know, that give you there bargaining are, power um, with the farmers that you have a limited a bit. resource? <laughs>
1: a bit. Yeah. Or at least it helps us secure some of our contracts, you know, in advance, or it, it you know, it, it gives us some marketing a little bit to say, hey, you know what, secure your contracts, you know, in, in the fall time, make sure you got your bees. Um, because you may you may wait around and you may not get any right or you may get low quality um, bees and so we've we've been striving to you know offer very good quality bees um, for the pollination services and and we're, we're pretty proud of that that we've been doing really good and, and our farmers are happy with that and so um, you know that's that's what we try to do we try to at least keep it going here in California show that there's california beekeepers that you know are keeping up. Um, and hopefully there's more, you know, in the future, and hopefully we can have more bees to service more, because definitely a local beekeeper is different, you know, I mean, many thanks to all the other beekeepers that come from out of state to fill those gaps, but, you know, us that are here locally, you know, we'll go around and make sure that the bees are doing their job, that there's no low counts, that they have water, that, you know, all these things that sometimes, you know, some of our other fellow beekeepers can't always come with their bees, right, and mm-hmm. and they just have their bees here and so we try to offer that as an advantage right to to hey hire a local beekeeper if you can right if if there's one available um and and try to keep that within within california and support the local beekeepers
0: do many beekeepers uh kind of uh split their time between the honey production and and working the pollination services or are there some beekeeping operations that are just honey machines and they are singularly focused <laughs> and creating yeah here, california,
1: large... I mean, here, yeah here in california we can kind of um we kind of season it out so like for right now they're they're focusing on pollination the almond honey is actually pretty bitter so we don't we don't extract any any almond honey um and and the, the really the quantity we we leave it there for the for the honeys, uh, for the um, honeybees to use themselves for food, okay. um, but our um, yeah. So so we start with the pollination of the almonds, then we move to the cherry, we move to some blueberry, and then after that we do the citrus bloom, um, which happens in April, um, April to May. And then right after that is our first honey harvest. So we have our first harvest with the end of May, beginning of June. So at that point, they're not, they're not um, they're not necessarily doing a heavy pollination. They'll do their pollination, they'll bring in the honey. And then we kind of put them in summer holding areas where they'll they'll slowly bring in more honey but. um, But they do go through those kind of phases, and so then um, you know there's a point in time where we'll pull out the excess honey and then that's when we do our harvest so that'll that's our first harvest in in kind of the May June timeframe. And then they'll go to the summer crops so they'll do alfalfa cotton melon um, you know all those kind of summer crops tomato corn, you know all these things that grow in our great central valley um, and um and yeah and then we'll have a second harvest um, around the september time frame and so by that time they're starting to windle down they're starting to you know the cooler temperatures are starting to come in and and they'll start to sense that and then they'll start to prepare for prepare for winter and so we'll we'll do that last harvest and then um and then start preparing them for their hibernation periods
0: So let's um let's talk about two honey related things to close up. One, I feel like I think I know how honey's harvested, but I'm probably Mm -hmm. wrong. I'm I'm for some reason I have in my head, um, like I'm picturing that thing that I used when I added some drywall in my house and I had to shave it down. I'm picturing (laughs) someone shaving some crumbly things and then it turns into honey. Um so I guess my part one to the question is how how is honey actually harvested? And then part two. Mm -hmm. Uh, what tips strategies or clues could you or tools can you give us uh, when we're buying honey to know whether we're buying high quality sure. honey or n- less high less or not good honey what we should avoid
1: sure yeah so the honey harvesting process um that's actually my favorite part of the year it's a sticky mess but i like it <laughs> it's my favorite part um so actually the way we harvest the honey is um, so we'll go out to the field we'll we'll gather up all the frames of honey and uh, we'll bring them back here to our um, to our workshop here here in, in Madeira, and um, we have a workshop here set up to do all of our with all of our honey harvesting equipment. And so the first thing that kind of happens is we we run the the frames of honey through something called an uncapper, and what that will do is that will shave off. So you, you were pretty kind of close. Okay. <laughs> That'll shave off a very small layer of the frame because you know the, the bees when they bring in the the nectar and and you know turn that into honey. They will, they'll fill in the little, you know, hexagon, you know, the little patterns, right? The little, mm-hmm. little frames. And uh, they'll fill that up with honey and then they seal it with, with the wax cap. Um, and so that kind of keeps the honey, you know, in its place. So when you bring the frames out, you see these beautiful frames that are all, you know, have a very thin layer of wax to keep the honey in, right? In, in, in each of the cells, that's the word I was looking for. I can't think today right, right. Um, in each of the cells. And so, um, and so what we do with the uncapper, um, it, it's, it's, it's a machine. So we run it through it and it sort of slices off that, that layer of wax so that the, the honey can flow out right more easily. And so it sort of melts it off, cuts it off. And then from there we line up the frames and then they go into the honey extractor. And so we have a large honey extractor that will hold, you know, numerous amounts of frames. We put it in and it's a, um, it's, it's a cylindrical, um, honey extractor. So the frames will start spinning. It's got a motor. It'll start spinning the frames and, and that, that centrifugal force within there. will start, you know, pushing the honey out towards the sides. And then we have some pumps running on the bottom. Then that will, um, you know, that'll, turn it over to either a honey holding tank or we start, uh, we use these, the, the kind of the metal drums um, to start filling those up with honey. Um, and then from there, we'll let them sit for a few days because they've still got a certain amount of wax, um, you know, mixed in with the honey. We'll let them sit for a few days. The wax will float to the top. We'll remove that wax and then, and then the honey will be ready for straining. So we we do strain out the honey. There's some people that don't. Um, we particularly don't like, you know, kind of bee parts within our. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: people, you know, some people really like the really really raw honey, and that's okay too. You know. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, we personally don't like, you know, kind of a, a, a bee, a bee leg in there. So, um, you know, <laughs> or something, or some debris, <laughs> you know, so, yeah. so we do strain our honey, we do strain our honey, we just strain it once, um, you know, we have some strainers, and so we'll strain out any particles or any, you know, kind of larger pieces of wax or anything like that. And then from there, it'll go into holding tanks where it's ready to be bottled. And so, um, you know, we try to take advantage of the warm weather and try to bottle a lot of our honey during those harvesting periods in the summertime when it's that nice, you know, hundred and (laughs) five weather, which the honey's really liquid and nice. And so, we try to bottle that, you know, bottle at that time so that um, you know we don't really have to touch the honey too much after that. Um, It's it's really just in these winter months where we do, you know, have to. you know kind of work with the honey a little bit to get it a little bit more liquid but um but other than that we don't touch the honey at all i mean we just strain it and it goes right into the bottle so okay. um that's kind of our our process for for the honey harvesting so got it
0: and if yeah. you're with us at the grocery store mm-hmm. um, what would you help us look for i mean obviously we want everyone yeah. listening to buy your honey right if, ti- <laughs> if time comes and they can't um yeah. what what like Pretend you're with us with the shopping cart. What would you look yeah. for? Would it be things on the label or would it be things yeah. that like so the, first the label. First yeah, up, first okay.
1: the label. First the label. Take a look at the ingredients. I mean, those that sell honey that's not pure, they, they are forced to list their ingredients. So even though their label might say honey, you know, always flip it around and look at the ingredients because if they did add something to it. They do have to put it on their ingredients. So okay. um, you, you want to look for that. You want to look that the ingredient just says raw honey. Right, that that's kind of the first thing you want to look at, and and I always look at the source too. You know, where are they from? Where is their honey harvested? Right, because um, there's some really good honey that you know that we really like that doesn't really you know we can't harvest it in this area, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, there's there's a few honey jars that I buy from other beekeepers that are out you know in other states that I really like, but you know we just don't have that variety here in California. But that's you know, great. I always look to see who's the source of that. You know, or, you know who are they? Um, and then my favorite test which i think is the easiest test of them all is called the bubble test. so the bubble test is you flip the jar upside down and if it creates one big bubble then you know it's pure honey. Uh-huh. um you know honey that's mixed with other things will create multiple bubbles but if it just creates one 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 big bubble that kind of slowly creeps to the top then you know it's it's real honey. got so, it. Wow. yeah
0: Yeah. And that's if
1: it's nice and and liquid. But if your honey crystallizes, if it starts to get hard, that's your other telltale sign
0: that it's raw honey. Well, I'm so happy you told me this because the other night I was quite pissed off because I had to use honey for a recipe. And Mm -hmm. my wife bought some honey that's like very solid. Mm -hmm. um, And I was complaining about it because I'm like, it's so it's so hard to get a tablespoon of this because you're going there to scoop it out. <laughs> like I want that liquid honey. I want yeah, the little yeah, bear. Yeah, and now yeah. I just feel totally ashamed and embarrassed. <laughs> but um, that's
1: okay. It's not bad to want the liquid honey and, and there's an <laughs> easy fix to that. So what we tell people, you know, when they buy from us at the farmer's market or at pop-up events is, you know, just boil some water, shut it off, you know, boil a little pot of water, shut it off, stick your honey jar in there and there um and just let it sit. And it'll it'll become nice and liquid and and then you can use it for a couple more weeks and you can do that process over and over again because honey never expires. It's one of those awesome foods that just never goes bad and you can keep it forever. And I always tell people, keep it in the warmest part of your kitchen, right? Keep it by your stove or you know, keep it in a cupboard. Definitely don't put it in the refrigerator, because some people do. <laughs> yeah. Like don't put it in the refrigerator. Um, keep it in the warmest part. And and when it's the summertime, I tell people put it on a windowsill, you know, some somewhere where the sun will hit it. And And you'll always have nice liquid, liquid honey.
0: Yeah, one thing I do like to do with honey, and I don't know if you do this, is I mm-hmm. like to f- ferment stuff with it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. add some peppers to make a little like spicy honey, or the is my it? favorite mm-hmm. is the garlic cloves with the honey. Uh-huh. Uh, yes. so yes. good! You can use honey in so many different, and you drizzle that on oh, yeah. some pizza, and you're just yes. in, in heaven.
1: All right, let's close <laughs> yeah. with uh,
0: two things. Uh, first, mm-hmm. book recommendations, and then second, we'd love to hear more about what's going on with your business and where people can find your honey.
1: Yeah. So book recommendations. Um, so I'll recommend actually a beekeeping book. Um, okay. it's called first lessons in beekeeping. Cause a lot of people ask us, Hey, how do we, can we start in beekeeping? Like what's some resources? Um, so it's a, it's a nice little book. They sell it at, um, data over in, in Fresno and you can find it online, but it's called first lessons in beekeeping. And that's one of the first books that we had. So, um, okay. it's a really good kind of like basic resource for just, you know, your, your basics and beekeeping and how to get started with some hives. So that's a really really good one um you know one of the kind of future projects that we have is hopefully one day to be able to have a, a workshop facility where we can actually do beginner beekeeping classes it's something i get asked very frequently and would love to do in the future so hopefully a few years down the road you might be able to attend one of our beginner beekeeping classes um that's one of our um you know one of our kind of future future projects
0: that's awesome um yeah. and where can people find your honey
1: so you can find us regularly at the Tesoro Viejo Farmers Market, which is out on uh, Highway 41 and Avenue 15. We're there every other Sunday, and the season is just going to start. So we have our opening day this Sunday. So we will be there, and um, and we also do a lot of pop up events. So um, you know, if you follow us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Be Happy Farms Inc, we always post you know what pop ups we're going to be at. Um, we're going to be working this year on some points of sale. So we're hoping to get into some either wineries or cafes so that, you know, if you want to find our honey, you can uh, go there and, and find us. So we're working on that. And um, and we also do local deliveries and, and pickups, you know, in the Fresno, Clovis, Madeira area. So, you know, if you go to our, our social media pages, you can find our, our square site and you can order some some delivery or, or pickup, you know, when you can't find us at the farmer's market or events. So.
0: Awesome. Well, mm-hmm. I, you know, it just it's funny. I was planning to go to that farmers market this weekend.
1: Oh, there so, you go. Yeah. We'll you <laughs> it's a
0: small world. <laughs> um, anyway, this was this was a lot of fun. I appreciate yeah. uh, everything I've learned from you has been so helpful. I mean, I feel like I understand uh, understand a lot more what the situation with bees is and what beekeeping looks like. So, thanks for taking the time to do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening everybody. I hope you enjoyed today's show. As always, you can support this podcast by either making a financial contribution at our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com/Fresno's Best, or by leaving us a rating and review. We'll see you next time.